Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Uh, well, again, it's good to be here. Last week I was supposed to be here, had some weird health stuff. I'm all good now, so thank you everyone for rolling with last week. Holland texted me, he's like, we didn't even miss you, so it's all good. I was like, thanks, thanks, thanks for that. So it's all good. I'm glad that you guys uh, could, service could roll. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing of, of God's kingdom. Uh, we are looking at kind of some favorite stories about Jesus preparing our hearts for Easter, which is coming up. Again, Easter is that dominant event. Like, this is why we follow Jesus, that none of this makes any sense if Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise again. If he didn't do that, then he's just a, a, a teacher who led people astray because he claimed to be God, right? He forgave people's sins. He accepted worship. So he's a raving lunatic, a liar, or he truly is Lord. And so we are excited and gearing our hearts up for Easter that is Coming. So we are looking uh, at some of our favorite stories. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 4. I have a lot I want to cover, so I'm going to do my best, and I'm going to talk probably a little faster tonight than normal. So let's dive in this evening. Uh, every good coach knows that without challenge, there's no change. Without some kind of challenge, there can be no change. Super Bowl is coming real soon, right? Next week, Super Bowl Sunday. If you don't like football, hey, at least, what, pitchers and catchers are coming in like nine days and six hours, something like that. Uh, so, right? So baseball is coming. But in all those things, every good coach knows that that player is going to get stuck unless they can challenge them to go further. Listen to a great podcast with Coach Andy Reid of the Chiefs and uh, – Travis Kelsey and his brother have a podcast, um, and they interview different people. And so they had Andy Reid on, on the podcast with the Kelsey brothers. And he actually said that, that without challenge, there is no change. And I was like, man, Coach Andy Reid, that is so good. And he was saying that, you know, guys like Pat Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, they're always saying, Coach, help me out. What, how can I change? How can I grow? How can I be stretched? That's why... They've made it to six AFC Championship games in a row. I'm not a Chiefs fan, but you can tell clearly they have a great coach. They have a mindset of wanting to grow. They also have a mindset of wanting to be challenged, of wanting to be stretched. The same is true in our lives. If we want to grow, if we want to have that championship mindset, we have to be challenged. And God knows that in our lives. That life is not just simple and, and just coasting through it. Otherwise, we won't grow. So if we want this year to be better than last year, we have to learn to say no to the things that we want in the immediate for things that are most important, right? If we want this year to be better than last year, how do we say no to some things that we might be tempted in, in the immediate for what is most important? We're going to talk a little bit about temptations and sin, but also there's just so many other things in our lives that can kind of just distract us from the important things. They're not necessarily sin, not necessarily bad things, but sometimes good things can be the enemy of great things. So that's what I want to explore uh, this evening. How do we get healthier physically? How do we get a stronger marriage? How do we become better parents? How do we pay off debt and have better financial health? By learning to resist the temptation to take a shortcut and take the easy way out. 
by stepping up and being challenged. Now again, we're not talking about earning our salvation. Our salvation is secured through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We put our faith and our trust in him. We confess our sins. Our salvation is secured. But following Jesus is not just about going to heaven when we die, amen? It's about following the way of Jesus means orienting all of our life in a way that is aligned with the way that God created us. There's a way that our creator has a, a, a book, right, like, like a manual for us to live. And if we want to flourish in life, if we want to be the people that God created us to be, then there's a certain way that we need to orient our life around the way of Jesus. At the end of chapter 3, Dr. Luke, our author here in the book of Luke, gives the family history of Jesus going all the way back to Adam, the first human that God created. Luke is reminding us that Jesus shares in our humanity and is now going to face the same temptations that Adam faced. Sometimes I think we think of Jesus as like Superman, right? Like he's like Clark Kent, he's in hiding. Someone pitched a movie idea one time I thought was super good of like a movie about Clark Kent and like the mafia like wants to like take him out because he's like exposing the truth on the mafia. But every like assassination attempt fails because he's actually Superman. And like you actually never see Superman in the movie. I thought, what a clever idea. But I think sometimes we think of Jesus like that, right? Like he's actually Superman in disguise and nothing can harm him. Like, no, no, no. He is divine, but he's also totally human. And so Luke wants to remind us of that by going back to Adam. And so Jesus is going to pick up where Adam leaves off, and he goes to that same battlefield where Adam, our first father, failed. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. We're going to look at the three temptations that Jesus is going to face. Number one, to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Number two, to take a shortcut and do the right thing in the wrong way. And number three, to presume upon God. To presume upon God. We're going to discover that most of the temptations that you and I face fall into one of these three categories. But what's so cool is that we get this behind-the-scenes look at how Jesus handled temptation here in Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, in his temptation story, we're going to see that there's these echoes of the story of Israel in the wilderness after the Exodus, and after God led them through the Red Sea. See, after God delivered them in this huge event where they're in slavery and bondage, and they go through the Red Sea, he baptizes them through the Red Sea, and then he declares, you are my beloved child, and they're led into the wilderness. And now Jesus, he is baptized, he is declared by God, this is my beloved child, and now he is led into the wilderness. So we're going to see these similarities really playing off. So Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, where he was baptized. And he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. So let's pause for a second, right? Jesus, he gets baptized, and God the Father thunders, This is my Son, in whom I am so proud of. Then the Holy Spirit descends on him and commissions him for his earthly ministry. So Jesus, he's dripping wet from the Jordan, right? And the Holy Spirit's like, come on, Jesus, come follow me. Jesus is like, where are we going? The Holy Spirit's like, we're going to the desert. He's like, what, the desert? Why? Because you're gonna battle Satan. It's like, what? Right, this is the story here. But Jesus is the ultimate example of someone who was led by the Spirit and led into the wilderness. That's so important for us because I think sometimes we go through seasons of the wilderness where we feel dry, things aren't going the way we think it should go, we're struggling to connect, and we think, I must not be where I'm supposed to be. 
But we see Jesus clearly led by the Holy Spirit. We see the same thing in the lives of so many people in the Old Testament. That where God will lead them through a season of the wilderness. So just because you feel like you're in a desert, just because you feel like you're in a wilderness, doesn't mean you're not being led by the Holy Spirit. And so in the same way God led the Israelites for 40 years and 40, uh, 40 years, we're going to see Jesus there for 40 days and 40 nights. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Jeremy did a great job, uh, I watched from South Carolina, uh, on Jesus getting baptized. This is Jesus' declaration of ministry, and it goes right to the battlefield. I just love this picture of Jesus, like, dripping wet from the Jordan, going off to battle. Like, one-on-one with the devil, right? Like, I just love that. Luke 4, verse 2. And Jesus ate nothing at that time and became very hungry. So the Holy Spirit leads him in the wilderness. He fasts for 40 days. And Dr. Luke, our physician, in his professional opinion, says after 40 days, Jesus was hungry. It's like, thanks, Einstein. Like, yes, like, clearly you're going to be hungry after not eating for 40 days. Why does Dr. Luke put this detail in here, though? To remind us Jesus is human. He's God and human. He's the God-man. He's both, right? And he's in the wilderness. While he's hot and hungry and thirsty, who shows up? Verse 3. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. So the devil shows up. It's the first temptation to Jesus. And what's the first thing he says? If you really are the Son of God, do this thing. The devil is attacking Jesus' identity. Don't be surprised when the devil does the same thing to you and to me. He's just, Jesus had just had this experience of the father thundering, this is my son, and what does the devil say? Well, if you're the son of God, then prove it. I think so many of us, we struggle with our identity. We struggle with just who am I and our families that we come from. And it's just, it's, a, it's a, a part of so many of us. So here's the thing. If you have struggled with those kind of issues of, of who am I, where do I come from, am I truly loved, you aren't alone. And don't be surprised when the devil, who knows what he's doing, he comes after your identity. I've recommended the book uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. It's really good. It's not a Christian book. I'm rereading it again. It's just so good about like, um, how to change and become a different kind of person, right? But he says true change happens when you change your identity. I'm like, yeah, preach, man, right? When you see yourself as God's beloved, that will change how you act. You're, you're stepping out of a position of loved and, and belonging rather than trying to prove yourself to God. So Jesus, he knows his identity. His identity is secure. But the devil's like, if you're God's son, then turn these stones into bread. Now, on the surface, it seems kind of weird, right? Like, if Jesus did this and had lunch with the devil, we'd be like, that's kind of strange, but what's the big deal, right? The issue here isn't about Jesus having self-control or about even having lunch with the devil. The issue here isn't even about Jesus using his divine power to feed himself. The issue is, can Jesus trust his heavenly father? Can he trust him? And what I love is Jesus doesn't respond by arguing. Sometimes we like to argue with temptation. But it's a way of just playing with the idea until it becomes too attractive to resist. Instead of arguing, Jesus responds by quoting scripture, Luke 4.4. 4. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. 
All right, maybe you've heard the story and you're like, okay, that's kind of weird, but sure, I get it. But remember how I said the temptations of Jesus mirror the Israelites in the wilderness? Well, Jesus doesn't just quote any Old Testament scripture. He quotes in the book of Deuteronomy three times. Did you know that? Here's what Deuteronomy 1.1 says about that book. Deuteronomy 1.1. So this is about the book of Deuteronomy. These are the words that Moses spoke to all of Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. Now Jesus is beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. Come on, somebody. That's pretty cool, right? That's why he's quoting from here. And how did Israel get beyond the Jordan? And I'll start with Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat. He got sold into slavery by his older brothers. 20 years later, he, gets, he moved into becoming the, you know, like the second most powerful person in Egypt. He reconciles with his brothers. It's this great story we talked about last fall. And then 400 years go by, and Joseph's family of immigrants become slaves to the Egyptian empire. God raises up this deliverer, Moses, to lead him out of bondage. And before they enter the promised land, they have these 40 years in the wilderness. Again, echoing Jesus' 40 days. And as they wander in the wilderness, though, God took care of them and met all their needs. He provided manna, this, like, this substance. Do you know what manna actually means? It means what is it? <laughs> I love that. The Israelites named it. They're like, what is it? I don't know. And a lot of times we think it was like, like you know, fresh-baked bread. It wasn't bread. It was the stuff they took, and then they made bread out of it. Here's the thing, again, like a lot of times God will provide for you, but you still have to put a little work in, okay? And so he's not just going to drop it in your lap. He drops it in, but you got to do some work still, not your salvation, right? And so he provided for all their needs in this manna, this what is this? And every single day, in their wilderness, God provided for them. Not only were the Israelites being fed physically, they reminded every single day that God would meet all their needs, Every day they woke up and saw this manna. They were learning God can be trusted. That God can be trusted. That God can be trusted. And that leads to the book of Deuteronomy. The Israelites are now done wandering, and they're getting ready to go into the promised land. They're leaving behind those days of manna. And here's what Moses tells them. Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 3. He says, and you shall remember, don't forget about these days, the whole way that the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he may make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so Moses is telling the people, hey, when you leave the wilderness and you're entering into the promised land, you're going to forget all the ways that God took care of you. How true is that for us? That God leads us through those times when financially it's rough. Times of infertility, times of singleness when we want to be married, times of, of, of just uncertainty. And then when God comes through and we're now in a different season, we forget about what God did. Moses is saying, don't forget all those ways that God took care of you, that God can be trusted. And so Jesus, what is he saying? He's quoting from this saying, hey, I can trust my father. He's going to meet all my needs. I am going to trust him. Jesus is going to resist the temptation of self-reliance, of, hey, okay, I'm going to take care of myself. No, my father's going to take care of me. He's going to trust him. See, more important than having enough to eat is remembering who gave you what you need. Who gave you the ability to run a business and make money? Who gave you those children? 
Who gave you every blessing that you have? Turn that back to praise. See, every time you're tempted, your confidence in God is at stake, not just your self-control. Every time you're tempted, your confidence in God is at stake, not just your self-control. When you're tempted to take the easy way out and look at pornography instead of pursuing your spouse, your confidence in God is at stake, not just your self-control. When you're tempted to take a shortcut in your business, it's your confidence in God that's at stake, not just your self-control. So the devil tries a different tactic. Chapter 4, verse 5. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He says, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. That's the important word there, authority. Because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it to all to you if you worship me. Jesus, or it's, the devil's telling Jesus, if you submit to me, all of this can be yours. Now, when I was younger, I thought, ah, the devil's a liar. Like, well, he's saying he can give all this to Jesus, but he can't. But Jesus doesn't rebuke him for being a liar. See, the truth is, this temptation hits hard because this is why Jesus came. See, when God created the world, he said, let us make man in our image. Let's give them authority over the world to rule and reign and steward this good cause. But what happened was Adam and Eve, they gave in the, the temptation that God was holding out on them. They took away their confidence in God and put it in themselves. And they disobeyed God and sin entered our world. And here's the important thing. By doing that, they handed their authority that was rightfully theirs by God over to the devil. And the devil now had authority over this world. So what was God to do? These beautiful humans that he created to rule and reign and steward his creation have handed over the authority he gave them to the devil. The only thing God could do was to send his son to win back that authority that the devil had stolen from our first parents, Adam and Eve. But to win back that authority, Jesus had to do what? He had to go through the cross. It meant pain and suffering and death. And Jesus knew that path was in front of him. And now the devil offers a different path to win back that authority, which again is his purpose. He's saying, hey, forget the path of the cross and just bow the knee to me. The devil's saying to Jesus, this is why you're here. This is why you left your throne in heaven to come to earth, but I can give you an easier pass. I can let you bypass the cross and all that pain and suffering. All you have to do is temporarily bow down to me. See, this happens to you and I. We're working on the purpose that God has for your life, and along the way, you'll be tempted to compromise temporarily. The lie is, this will just be for a moment. I'm just gonna compromise this one time. It's just for a good cause. But the moment you take the shortcut and compromise what is important for the immediate, you're telling the devil you don't have confidence in your heavenly father. You give in to the idea that perhaps God is not with you. Perhaps God is not for you. And the next time that same temptation comes, you're gonna respond the same way because you're not sure you can trust God. The issue is, can I trust God? So there stands Jesus with the devil. This is why he's here. He's looking at all the kingdoms of the world. He loves them. And here's what he does. He reaches back to Deuteronomy again and quotes the words of the deliverer Moses. Deuteronomy 6, verse 10. It says, the Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you. Hey, this is gonna happen soon. When he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when you have eaten your fill in the land, be careful not to forget the Lord 
who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord, your God, and serve him. So one of the things you have to understand, when, when Jesus quotes scripture, oftentimes he will just give like the tail end of the scripture, but he's thinking of the whole text. So this is why the more you're in God's word, you really understand like when, when, when Jesus is quoting Psalm 22 on the cross, uh, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting the whole Psalm, right? Same thing here. What, what does Moses say? God's gonna soon bring you to where he swore to bring you. Jesus says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he's quoting this passage, reminding himself, God's soon gonna do and deliver on what he promised. I'm gonna have to go through the cross, but I can trust my father. He's going to let me go through the cross and win back the authority. So here's the question for you. What is it you want so badly that you're set up to trade what is important to get it? Say, man, I want this so bad, I'm just gonna compromise in this area. See, Jesus came to take back all authority on heaven and earth, but he resisted taking the easy way out and compromising what was most important for an immediate victory. And it paid off. Matthew 28, 19, what does he say? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. When was that given to him? After the cross. He won it back. He accomplished his purpose, right? The devil tries a third time. Luke 4, 9 through 11. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. Now the devil's quoting scripture. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. This is like you grab someone's phone or something valuable, you toss that at them, you're like, think fast, right? That's what the devil's saying. Hey, Jesus, do this to God. He wants Jesus to jump off. He said, because God said he's gonna take care of you. This is the temptation to presume upon God. This is when we don't consult God with our plans, but we just do what we think is right and say, God, now bless this, right? It's like, you're a good, good God. This is who you are. This is who you are, right? So you have to bless me. And God is thinking, you got me. You found this secret scripture. You sang the right worship song. I have to do this. It's like two teens racing down the road, going 100 miles an hour, right? They see the flashing lights behind them. The kid says, it's okay. My dad's a lawyer. He's gonna get me out of this mess, right? Sometimes Christians, we do that. This is the devil saying to Jesus, you're God's son. He has to bail you out. This is the 13-year-old who doesn't study for a test and prays, God, please help me pass this test. This is the couple who's irresponsible with their money, driving cars that they can't afford the car payments on, taking vacations they can't afford. They get into financial trouble and they're like, God, you gotta come through for us. Otherwise, people are gonna think you're not taking care of us. What are we doing? We're presuming upon God. God's like, hey, this wasn't my idea. And what happens is that God doesn't come through, people get mad at him. God is sitting thinking, this wasn't my idea. I'm not a genie in a bottle. You don't play me. You don't manipulate me. You don't force my hand. You don't get to presume upon me. I think when we, we do that, we think we're living by faith, but living by faith is not coming up with an idea, pulling the trigger, and then asking God to bless it. Faith is responding to what God has already promised to do. So how does Jesus respond? He goes back to Deuteronomy 6, 16, and he quotes it. Jesus responded, the scriptures tell us, you must not test the Lord your God. Jesus says, I know you're up to devil. You're trying to get me to presume upon God, to put him to the test, but I'm not here to manipulate God. I'm here to cooperate with my father. See, as Christians, we've been called to cooperate with God, not manipulate him. 
There's always a fad every couple of years, right? The prayer of Jabez, other things. If you pray this certain prayer, you can get exactly what you want from God. Man, resist that temptation. Do not presume upon God. Here's the thing. Life is hard. You're going to go through some tough times. It's not always up and to the right. No matter what someone says, there is no secret formula to life where you're going to get everything you want. But the beautiful thing, God says he's going to be with you. His spirit is inside of you, and your salvation is secured. That's the important thing. Luke 4, verse 13. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. I used to think, studying this, that the devil waited until the moment when Jesus is at his weakest. I was like, man, he's hot, he's hungry, he's thirsty, he <laughs> hasn't been eating, hasn't been drinking 40 days. Now's my time to get him, right? That's what I used to think. And so you, you teach your students, like, man, when you're weak, that's when the devil's going to come after you, right? But actually what I think, I think Jesus knew he's going to fight the devil. So what did he do? He geared up for battle. I think at the end of 40 days, he was as strong as he could be. Not by my might, by his. And same thing, we have to learn to lean into the spiritual disciplines of prayer and fasting and solitude, of being in God's word, so that we can be strong to fight the devil. Here's the deal. You may not be able to quote from the book of Deuteronomy, Maybe for tonight, you didn't even know there was a book of Deuteronomy. That's okay. We say here, everyone has a next step. The book of Hebrews tells us the word of God is living and active. I love those graphic novels we gave to the kids, the Bibles. Sharper than double-edged sword. It's made for battle. As the devil comes at you, and as the battle temptation rages in your life, you need to know the same way that Jesus resists temptation, and the same way that you and I resist temptation. And that is by reading God's word, by knowing it well enough to quote from it by memory. You can start by committing to just reading God's word. Start every day. Start five minutes in the morning. Just be in God's word. Work your way up to 15 minutes a day. Just start there. Whatever, wherever it is, start somewhere. And you can start by memorizing one Bible verse a month, right? One Bible verse a month. At the end of the year, you'll have 12 Bible verses memorized. Here's a good one to start with. James 4, 7. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. See, if we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, and we're committed to the way of God, it means we don't face these temptations alone. The Holy Spirit is with us. We know that we are going to face battle. We're going to face temptations. If Jesus was tempted, you and I are going to be tempted. And when you are tempted, don't believe the lie. Jesus doesn't understand. No, he went through all of it. He's lived life like us. The Bible tells us there's no condemnation in Christ. He's felt it. He's seen it. He's resisted it. He's here to help you. The Bible says that Jesus has endured every temptation known to man. Whatever it is that you're facing, Jesus has faced that temptation as well. All right. Let's get super practical here. I was trying to like really break this down. Because again, sometimes I think it's like, spiritual, and we're thinking fighting the devil, right? Maybe you want to write some of these down. I'm going to really get in your business now, but that's okay. All right, so let's get really practical. Here's some ways. Fighting the temptation, right? Number one, 
Don't give in to the tyranny of the urgent. Fight the temptation to give in to the tyranny of the urgent. Just because someone calls or texts you doesn't mean you have to respond right away. Learn to put your phone on do not disturb, and then you can text them back later, right? We're getting super practical here. Number two, don't give in to the temptation to make too many personal commitments. Limit activities and commitments that don't align with your larger life goals. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Only commit to what you know that you can deliver to. Right? We're getting real practical here. Number three, say no to the temptation to avoid hard decisions. It's easy to avoid hard calls, but over time, it's going to drain your energy and make you lose sleep. I, I, love, I forget who said that, but like, first thing in the morning, you eat the frog. If you've got to eat a frog in a day, like, you're going to be thinking about it all day long, but do that hard thing first. Don't put off the hard things. Say no to the temptation to play the blame game. It's way too easy to blame others for everything that went wrong. Start accepting responsibility. You'll save time and get better at what you do. Plus, you'll be a better human. Say no to the temptation to engage in conflict through email or texting. This is a tough one. Instead, do the hard thing. Pick up the phone or better yet, talk to them in person. Say no to the temptation to feeding the trolls. For those of us who are on social media, the block function on the internet exists for a reason. Don't engage with them. Say no to the temptation to engage with high drama people. Create clear boundaries around high drama types. Some of you, I know this is family members. Don't let someone else's procrastination be your emergency. Say no to the temptation of mindless scrolling on social media. You have time limit functions on your phone, or you better yet, delete them so you're not spending all this time on there. Say no to the temptation of social media arguments. As followers of Jesus, we're not called to argue people on social media. Say no to the temptation of comparison. Hey, keep your head down. Do your best work. If you need to compete, compete against yourself. Say no to the temptation of cheating sleep. This is talking to myself. It's easy to think you're crushing work or life because you're cheating sleep, but in a long time, you're just crushing yourself. Say no to the temptation of, or, of ignoring the signs of burnout. If you're working hard, take a break before you break. Say no to the temptation of late night work. If it can't get done during the day, it's a sign you've taken on too much or not as efficient as you could be. Say no to the temptation of skipping exercise. God created our bodies. Our bodies are good. Working out or going on a walk will make you more productive, not less. Say no to the temptation of junk food. Say no to junk food will almost always give you more energy and avoid the carb crashes and sugar crashes that rush that ruin productivity. Again, these are some super practical, granular things, right? But here's the thing is, we're tempted oftentimes to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. We have a need for purpose, and what happens when we don't have purpose, we distract ourselves with pleasure. We want connection, we're created for that, but we're tempted to try to meet that in an illegitimate way by online fighting or social media or different things, right? We have all these things that we're created for, but there's so many things in life that, again, you can't look at it and just say, well, that's sin, right? That's, that's for sure something wrong, but it's not living the way God designed us. It's not living the most healthy way. Again, the three temptations Jesus faced to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way, to take a shortcut and do the right thing in the wrong way, and number three, to presume upon God. To just take your actions and say, God, just bless this thing. And here's the way that the Holy Spirit helps us against temptation. Number one, you need to know your identity. This helps being God's word. Listening to worship music, listening to sermons, 
Being a community of people that remind you who you are. You are a son and daughter of the king. You are highly favored. You are loved. You are blessed because of who Jesus is, what he did on the cross, and that favor now has been bestowed upon us. When we operate out of understanding our identity, we'll be able to step into our calling. Number two, know God's word. Jesus is able to quote scripture. We gotta know God's word. That is our sword. That is our weapon against the devil. Know God's word. I was doing the Green Book this week with Tallis, and we're, it's chapter four or five, whatever we're on, and it's about being in God's word. And I was just lamenting to him for eight years of pastoring. There's still some of you that I know are just not regulating God's word. And I just don't know how to tell you, like, please, please, please. Be in God's word. It, it's what God created for us to, for us to know him, to love him, to have this armor against the attacks of, of the devil. We've got to be in God's word. And number three, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. He walked out of there filled with the Holy Spirit. There are things in our lives that can quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. We've talked about this. The Holy Spirit is like that burner on our stove. You can turn it up. The flames are higher. You can turn it down. Holy Spirit's there. But you choose. Do you want more of the Holy Spirit? Are you listening to him? The more we quiet our souls, the more we're intentional, we'll be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. We have an active participation in this. Are you hungry for more of God? Are you seeking more of the Holy Spirit? Imagine if as a community, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're pursuing the Holy Spirit. We're in God's word. We were discussing it. We're encouraging each other to memorize God's scripture, to love God's word. Our kids, we're reading the Bible every night with our kids, and we're talking about it. We're excited about it in our community groups, and we're discussing God's word, right? We know our identity. We know who we are as a church, who we are as a married couple, who we are as individuals, that our kids grow up knowing who they are in Christ, like, right? That's a beautiful thing. So many distractions and things in life that want to take our eyes off what's most important. Of who we are in Christ. That we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And God gave his word for us. Let's not lose sight of the important because we want to get distracted with these momentary pleasures in the immediate. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you are here. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you just that we have this behind the scenes picture of Jesus and fighting the devil and temptation and resisting it. And God, I just pray that everyone here would know their identity in you. And God, they would know that just because they're in a desert season doesn't mean they're not being led by the Holy Spirit. And God, they would know that when they're in a season of harvest and plentiful, that they're there being led by the Holy Spirit. So God, whatever season we find ourselves in, I pray, God, that we would follow you, that we would choose to trust you that you're going to come through. Thank you again, God, just um, for all your love and grace in our lives. Thank you for these beautiful children. and uh, God, we pray that just as a community, we would love and serve these kids and point them to Jesus. And we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. 
I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.